Happy Thanksgiving to you, and I'm so glad that you're here and invite you to turn with me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And we pray that your spirit would enliven these scriptures and that you would awaken our minds and hearts in a new way. And that in hearing your word and meditating on it, it would stir in us a new insight about you, ourselves, and what you are doing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when your clothes are on fire, the first response is shock. And then the instinct for most people is to run, which only further provokes the flames. So back in the 1970s, the National Fire Protection Association began a campaign called Stop, Drop, and Roll. And it was popularized by Dick Van Dyke, who did commercials uh, back then when I was a kid, and I can still remember them. And actually, I went back this week and looked on YouTube and saw some of these old commercials stirring some old memories. So you don't run. You stop, you drop, and you roll. That's how you put out the flames. So if you don't get anything else out of this message, there's a good reminder for you. <laughs> Similarly, in today's frantic world, it's filled with stress and long hours, pressing deadlines, not enough time to answer all emails. We're going from political chaos to unfixed broken items around the house, constant family needs, nagging insecurities, inescapable noise and beeps. Can you feel the pressing anxiety? Is there dread in you? Some deadline coming up this week or a missed deadline from last week. Can you relate to the words of Bilbo Baggins when he said, I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter, scraped over too much bread? Or to change the metaphor, do you feel like your life is on fire? When you're on fire, there's shock and the instinct is to run. Run harder, run faster. Perhaps if you out-frenzy the frenzy, maybe you'll get ahead. But scripture counsels us to resist the urge to run. In this context, it's a flawed instinct. Rather, you should stop, drop, and praise. Psalm 92, I will follow it pretty closely, so you might want to have the scripture open to you so you can follow along with me. It begins with the title, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And the word Sabbath day is the only time it appears in the whole uh, Psalter is here in this superscription of Psalm 92. It's an invitation, the psalm is, into Sabbath rest, which not only quenches the fires of mind and soul, but it actually helps keep from getting ignited in the first place. So let's begin with stop. Sunday is a stopping day. Psalm 92 calls us to enter into a time of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a day that belongs to the Lord, where we are to abstain from regular work, one out of every seven days, resting in God, being with God's people, worshiping 
the Lord, centering ourselves on him. In Deuteronomy, the fourth commandment says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. Now, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday, the pattern of one out of seven has remained with the, with the Christian church. But the New Testament presents a transition from Sabbath, which is Saturday, to Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Sunday, the new day, a day of rest and of praise that brings orientation to us for the entire week. Now, I've observed that there have been two practical approaches that Christians have tended to take who understand some continuity between Sabbath in the Old Testament and the Lord's Day in the New Testament. One orientation has been a rule-based focus, which tends to emphasize boundaries on Sunday. And it's organized by the question, what must I do? Or what must I not do? It's rule-based. And then in contrast is a second way of thinking. It's principle-based. It emphasizes not rules of do and don'ts. It emphasizes the purpose or the goal of Sunday, which is rest, restoration, and the worship of God. It asks the question, how best do I rest from work and worship God on Sunday? Now, a rule-based focus is like a parent who tells their child, eat your vegetables. And then, of course, the child, well, most children, will ask, well, how much? And then you get into a whole conversation quibbling over two versus three green beans. Have you been in that conversation before? Sometimes I do think being reminded of rules when following Jesus are necessary. So if you are committed to following Jesus, a foundational rule concerning the Lord's Day is our obligation to meet weekly for worship on Sunday. In one version of Hebrews 10.25, it says, you should not stay away from the church meetings, as some of you are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other and do this even more as you see the day coming. Well, Michael, how many times can I miss per month? Or can I do work on Sunday? Those are rule-based questions. It's quibbling. It's akin to hair-splitting over well, I did this with my parents and drove them crazy over eating peas and broccoli and spinach, which I thoroughly disliked. There's quibbling rather than focusing on the principle. In contrast, Psalm 92 is a more mature rationale, and it calls us not to be rule-based, but to be principle-based. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, It is good to praise the Lord. And to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. So why is it good to stop and to give thanks and to praise God? Well, it's good because of God, the Most High. The principle is because of who God is and enjoying him in his beautiful perfection. So look at verse 2. The Lord's unfailing love, his love, that's to be praised in the morning, it says in verse 2. 
And so we can begin our day remembering that it's God's love that sends us out, giving us joy, strength, and courage. And then the end of verse 2, it's the Lord's faithfulness, which can be praised at night. You can lay your head down on the pillow, letting the day go because of certainty, not in the success of your work, but trust in God's promises that he is faithful. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The faithfulness of God is about his trustworthiness, that you can take it to the bank and trust him, and it will be done. Well, his, there's his unfailing love, there's his faithfulness, and then in verse 5, it says, how profound are your thoughts? How profound are God's thoughts? His thoughts, it's, it refers to God's good intentions, his purposes for you. So you can stop, let things go, and sit at the master's feet and listen to his teaching because Jesus Christ will work it all out. You don't need to be anxious or to worry. Mary chose to stop. Martha chose to work. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus calls us to seek him. And then he says that all of these things will be added to you. In Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if it's God's good intention, his purpose for you to give you the whole kingdom, why are you anxious about all of these other little things? He will take care of them. And so you can stop and you can rest in him, knowing that he will do this. If you look at Psalm 92, it calls us to stop by centering ourselves Sunday, and in fact every day, our whole life, on the Lord. Now you can look at the Psalm 92, it says Lord seven times in all capitals. It's the, the personal name of God, of Yahweh. Seven times, it's the number of completeness or perfection. And it creates a poetic structure that organizes the entire psalm. And Yahweh, the Lord, appears at the beginning of the psalm. He appears at the end of the psalm. And he's all in between, and he's at the very center. In fact, the, the, the poetic structure of the center, or the crescendo of Psalm 92, is found in verse 8. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. It's all about him. He is the very center. And the point is, is that Sabbath is not primarily about escaping from life's fires or taking a nap on Sunday afternoon or going to church. Sunday is about centering your life, yourself, your heart, your mind, everything about you on the Lord. Like the psalm is structured, we are to structure Sunday in our whole life so that the Lord is our beginning, the Lord is our end, he's all in between, and our life is very much centered right on him. So will you stop? And will you rest on the Lord today and moving forward? Well, 
perhaps you have a lot of responsibilities and it's hard to stop. Why is that so? Well, because to stop requires us to simultaneously to drop. And this is point number two, stop, now drop. Sunday is not only a stopping day, it's a dropping day. Well, what do you need to drop? We need to drop the illusion of self-reliance, of self-trust, as if everything depends on you. It's self-reliance that makes it extremely hard to stop. Look at verse 6. It says, senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. <laughs> Speaking of senseless, my family were looking at Thanksgiving jokes, and we found some pretty senseless ones. Here are the top ones that we found. Why can't you take a turkey to church? Because they use such foul language. These are like dad jokes that all the kids groan. Why did the police arrest the turkey? Because they suspected foul play. Or how about this one? What kind of music did the pilgrims really like? Plymouth Rock. What do you call a turkey with an evil spirit? Poultrygeist. Uh, this is one of my favorites. What did the turkey say to the computer? Google, Google, Google. <laughs> In all seriousness, yeah, they're bad, I know. <laughs> In all seriousness, the biblical concept of, of being senseless, a senseless person, or being a fool, it's not comic relief, and it's not having a low IQ, not at all. Being a fool that's listed here in verse 6 is a person living in an illusory or out-of-touch spiritual life. The fool lives as if, in the end, his life all depends on his own actions, on his own energy, on his own decisions. The kid's future, the stock portfolio, successful marriage, even your physical health. He thinks, since God is an illusion, everything depends on me. But this kind of self-trust requires you to downplay or just outright ignore other obvious realities that the, the scriptures call us to pay attention to. Even if you were to, to try to tirelessly work, which is not possible, the assumption of control over your life is an illusion the stock market, it could crash at any day. It can. It could devastate your wealth. Your spouse can leave you. None of us, if you're married, can control his or her decision. It's outside of your control. And of course, at any moment, and some of us have experienced this, at any moment, your health can evaporate into endless doctor's appointments, staring your finitude in its face. So from the Bible's point of view, self-reliance is senseless. It's foolish in light of these realities that we don't want to think about, but they govern the whole structure of our lives. You see, human flourishing, it's transitory. It's temporary. Look at verse 7. It says that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. So in fact, here in verse 7, the scripture affirms the possibility 
of flourishing outside of having faith in God. There's no doubt about that. We see that in experience, and the scripture itself says so. Some put trust in themselves, and they exceedingly flourish. But it is flourishing, according to verse 7, that's akin to grass. I love walking on a golf course after the grass has been cut. I grew up playing a lot of golf, and I have these very fond memories of the scent of grass cut, and it's something I just... I find wonderful and amazing. About two weeks ago, I was walking my dog out on a golf course, and the grass was dead. The flourishing of grass is contrasted with verses 12 through 14 with the fruit of the oasis palm tree or the tall, sturdy cedar tree that's full of sap and evergreen even in the winter snows of the mountains of Lebanon in verse 12. So rather than pretend to be in La La Land, which was a good movie, Scripture calls us to drop self-reliance, self-trust. You can stop from your normal work on Sunday. You can drop this illusion of control because it's not true because there's amazing news. It's that Jesus continues to work even while you're sitting here listening. He says in John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. You can trust that though you have stopped, and although the things that you're thinking about, the Lord is in his hands, and he will take care of. And that's what is in verse 4 and 5, it's being emphasized. For you make me glad by your deeds, it says. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. In other words, you can stop and you can drop the self-illusion of being in control because he won't stop. That's part of his very nature. You can rest because he won't. And he's got your back and he will watch over you. So stop and drop and then finally praise. It's, Sunday is not just a stopping day. Sunday is not just a dropping day. But Sunday is a praising day. If you look at the second half of Psalm 92, it highlights three reasons for praising and thanking God. In verse 10, it describes the exaltation of our anointed Messiah. In verse 11, it describes the victory that God gives over our enemies and then in verses 12 through 15, it highlights the unending flourishing that's experienced by those who decide and choose to put their rest in God. A couple was telling me that they were extremely vexed and distraught as many things were going wrong in their life. In fact, they counted 12 different things that were deeply troubling them, and they were, and they were very sad and didn't know what to do. And then they began to remind each other of some of the things that God had been doing and was doing. They were following the advice of that song, count your blessings and name them one by one. They started counting the blessings and they went way beyond 12 and they began to realize that if God was faithful in doing what he had done in the past and even what he was doing now, if they would focus on it, of course, he was gonna take care of all of these other things. 
And so Sunday is a day to praise him. It's a day to be thankful and to realize and recognize all that he has been doing and all that he will continue to do. Now, for time's sake, we're just going to focus on verse 10. The other verses, I think, are self-explanatory. I think verse 10 is a little bit more tricky. It says, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox, and fine oils have been poured on me. Now, animal horns in the Bible are used as imagery for power and strength. And it's actually attested throughout the ancient Near East that it was the wild ox, not a lion, that was the greatest of all the animals. In fact, Julius Caesar, in his writings in the Gallic Wars, writing in about 50 BC, he describes this particular species, which the Germans called the oryx, and the Latins called the uri, and the Hebrews, in this word, is the riem. Caesar explains that this animal was slightly smaller than an elephant, but of the same color and shape as a bull. He writes, their strength and speed are extraordinary. No man or animal can stand directly against it. Job 39, verse 10, talks about the wild ox and says that it is utterly untamable. And actually, in Julius Caesar, in his writing about this, he says not even the youngest of the wild ox can be taken and be tamed. Their horns would grow to up to be two and a half feet long and were frontal-shaping and curved. It was a terrifying animal that lived in parts of Europe, as well as the Middle East, and in parts of Central Asia. And it was only through very sophisticated forms of hunting because the horns were highly treasured as, as trophies, that this particular kind of wild ox went extinct about 500 years ago. So what is the imagery here in verse 10 about this wild ox? What is this talking about? Well, after considering it, I would suggest to you, I'm pretty sure that this wild ox is imagery about the Messiah. It's messianic imagery. It refers to the anointing of King Messiah Several scriptures, and I won't take you through the details of this. You'll have to trust me, but I, you should never trust me. You've got to look for yourself. But I, several details indicate that when there's this language of Davidic kingship, as well as the anointing of oil, the exaltation of the horn associated with King David, and then in Numbers 23, 22, in Deuteronomy 33, 17, also refer to the wild ox, as we have in Psalm 92, 10. And all of these are references to the victory that God would give to Israel over the nations using the wild ox. Or to, I guess to be simple, when you read verses 10 and 11, it's the Messiah himself speaking. Speaking, Jesus speaking to the Father, you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured over me. Jesus, the Messiah, he's immensely strong. He's untamable. And he tramples the enemies, all who are opposed to God's love and justice. It's curious to me that the Psalms are actually structured and ordered in such a way that they're meant to go wet next to each other. In Psalm 91, the psalm that fall, uh, precedes Psalm 92, which 
the New Testament actually directly references as a messianic psalm. In verse 13 of Psalm 91, it says, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. And then you come to Psalm 92 and you ask, well, who tramples the great lion and the serpent? Well, I think the answer that's being suggested, it's the one with the wild ox anointing, Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. Well, what does this have to do with you and me? Well, it's about the enemies. It's the enemies. It's the enemies who set our lives on fire. And I think it's important to realize that you nor I can outrun our enemies. You nor I have the strength to defeat the enemies. Fear, anxiety, depression, illness, loss, chaos, the noise of this world, they're too strong. They're too strong for you and me to gain final victory. And don't be fooled that if you've gained a little victory, that it has been done because there's more to come. Don't play the fool because you will it will only lead to failure. <clears throat> but if you trust in the name of Jesus Christ, if you rest in him, if today and furthermore you begin to praise his name, then what Jesus says in verse 11, what the Messiah says in verse 11, will be true for you through him. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. It's through Christ. All the fiery darts of the enemy are extinguished. <clears throat> but you must stop. And you must drop. And you must praise. See, this is the Old Testament form of the gospel that we have fulfilled in Jesus Christ with greater clarity. It's the message of victory in Jesus Christ, the one who slays death, who defeats the devil, who is elevated as the victor, who has conquered all out of love for you and me. He's risen victorious. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? You see, the battle is done. The victory is won through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You are not strong enough, nor am I. But he is. And he gives the anointing. The drippings of the wild ox anointing will drip down on you as you call out and praise him. And you will see the enemies. You will see them. And you will hear them flee. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit empowering the victory. It's true and it's real. And all you need to do is take a step of faith and you too will see that this is, in fact, the case. Well, Michael, how, how am I supposed to put this into practice? How do I apply what you're saying? How am I supposed to rest on Sunday? Well, besides saying that Sunday is the day to show up and Sunday is the day to really Take the time to praise and thank the Lord. I'm not going to tell you anything more. I'm not going to tell you how to eat your vegetables. You're a grown up. So eat your vegetables. They're good for you. Sunday, it's good for you. Live into it. Figure out how to make a nice dish with all the vegetables and eat up. That's what it's for. Don't play the game of the child quibbling 
over what to do or what not to do. Just over a week ago, in a small town outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, Jed and his nine-year-old son, Troy, they were using kerosene to burn a tree stump in the backyard. This is something pretty common. I was burning something in my backyard just a year ago using kerosene. Jed said that all of a sudden something went wrong and there was a huge explosion. The next thing I know, I was on fire essentially from head to toe. He says, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. His nine-year-old son, Troy, he was about 10 yards further back, but he too was on fire. Troy had remembered the instruction that he was given just two weeks before by the firefighters who had come to his school for fire prevention and protection day. One of the lessons that nine-year-old received was stop, drop, and roll. The father said, all I can remember is him yelling to me, Daddy, Daddy, stop, drop, roll, roll, roll. Then the boy was able to extinguish the fire that had, was burning his pants and his legs. And then as his dad was rolling around, who had a much more severe burns, he was able to put out his father with, the, with a garden hose. That kid is a hero. Those firefighters who came to tell that story and to give instruction, and then that boy likely led to saving or significantly saving Jed's life. And I believe he's still in the hospital. And all those who have fire injuries, we need to remember, burn injuries, we need to remember them and pray for them. But I also know that some of you are on fire in a different way. And you're feeling the burn. Can I give you just some simple but sound instruction? Stop. Drop. And praise. 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 This will not only help you today. It will not only lead to you experiencing the victory over the enemies, but it will lead to your flourishing for all eternity. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your victory. We thank you for this great salvation that you have given to us. Oh Lord, we are so tempted to trust in ourselves. It's our deepest instinct to think that it's all on me. Oh Lord, would you wake us up? Would you help us to see that we can rest and we can rely in faith in you? Lord, would you stir such a faith in us? Would you allow my brothers and sisters to experience this wild ox anointing, and that they too would see your great strength and give you praise, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.